0: Ganesh, thanks yeah. for being on Integral Yoga Podcast. How's today going for you?
1: Um, it's good. We've been down at the farm uh, spreading compost, and Matthew, who lives here at Yogaville, his parents were visiting today, and Karuna brought some cookies down, and we sat under the apple trees and had cookies and lemon water, hmm. so it's been a good day.
0: How do you enjoy being on the farm pretty much daily, right? Yeah. How how does that serve you? How do you feel about that?
1: It, it's the best thing. Be, before that, I lived in the box world, you know, where a lot of people live, where you're in the box of your house and then you walk to the box of your car and you drive to the box of your workplace. And then <laughs> at lunch, you get back in the box of your car and you go to the box of the restaurant and the box of the car. And the box of the workplace and then the box of the car and then back to the box of the house and look at the box of the T V and mm. <laughs> you know, I'm outdoors all day every day. Mm. And I I have lived in front of a computer before, so this is candyland for me. When you were
0: a child growing up, did you spend a lot of time outdoors as well?
1: Um Yeah. I mean, I lived on the outskirts of a small town, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and um there was a woodland all around, about a hundred yards from my house. Large amount of woods and a creek, and the neighbor kids. We all went down and played in the woods all day. Hmm. No fear, just come back out of the woods at dinner time, and it was all good, you know. Can you remember
0: like how that felt as yeah. a child, just kind of running through the woods and exploring in nature? I do. What, what type of feeling does that make for you?
1: I remember one thing. There was a very steep hill going down to this creek at the base of the hill. I, I mean, James Taylor lived in that town, and he wrote a song about that very creek called Copper Line. He was living two miles down the creek from where we were. And there was a channel between two parts of the hill, and it was filled with leaves to about six feet deep. And it was very steep, and we would just go get in that, and we would slide down the hill completely encased in dry leaves with the beautiful smells of (laughs) leaves, screaming, you know, it was so great. Catching uh, crawdads, you know, in Mm -hmm. little jars in the creek, and I don't know, chasing butterflies, throwing marbles in the the dirt streets where I lived.
0: So how do you think we got to this place where so many humans are living uh in the box world was something unsatisfying of uh, more of a kind of a primal existence being out in nature um, and something had to change for people
1: i you know i don't know i'm not a scientist i just know repeat Uh, I'm a Gemini. I synthesize. I take in information and send it back out with a twist, maybe you could say. But one of the things I heard, and I don't know if this is exactly true, but that when you're in nature, you're having, I don't remember the exact number, but a huge number of different experiences, sensual experiences through your eyes, nose, ears, mouth, hands, everything, just uh, rolling around in the field, you know, or playing with the animal, playing with your dog in the yard, your outdoors, all these different experiences. If you watch the same experience on TV, you know how many you're having? Mm. One. Mm. Your body is relating to one experience. No matter what the picture on the TV changes, you're just having a single experience as opposed to like 10,000 a minute or something. So something's definitely lost. I don't know what's gained, you know, from being plugged in all the time. I definitely prefer nature.
0: Hmm. It almost seems that we need another word, too, perhaps, from separating, like, nature and what is not nature. Because my question is, is, like, what isn't nature? Because it's all earth matter. Everything that we see is is earth matter. So in a way everything is nature, right? But there is also a difference between what you're talking about, being in the open air and in the woods as opposed to um, being confined to walls and and, and all of that. Any any thoughts on kind of how we, we tend to label, you know, nature versus not nature? And maybe it would be helpful if we started to see everything as nature as opposed to creating this separation.
1: I mean this is rocks, I guess, or is it plastic I don't know is it is it petroleum? what is this uh, mic made of Probably mostly plastic so it's, is it plastic or there's some metal right. here metal would be probably squeezed out of rocks it's the difference between um like in farming if you eat tomatoes do you like tomatoes mm-hmm I love tomatoes. I didn't used to. I do now. But I, I love them since I started eating heirloom tomatoes. And heirloom tomatoes are tomatoes that have a direct connection going all the way back to the past. Like the seeds are saved from every tomato harvest, and then they plant those same seeds. And you get, if you plant those seeds, you get the same tomato the next year. With hybrid hybridization, you could say in a way that, All this is hybridized rocks, hybridized oil that somewhere should be under the ground maybe. Um, Their man has come and manipulated natural elements to create something that isn't the same as it is in its natural form. Um, Heirloom tomatoes taste wonderful. Hybrid tomatoes taste like not very good. Uh, and so that alone causes me as a farmer to grow heirloom tomatoes only, just for the flavor, but also it's a statement. Um, people take that very far in farming. Some people save all their own seeds so they can have complete control over the kind of crops that they're growing. And thank God for them, I do buy seeds, organic seeds from seed companies.
0: So then is is the the issue maybe too much meddling? Is that what's going on maybe? We're meddling with nature more than we need to be?
1: Control freaks. Mm. That's humans. You know, um, in the Taoist way of thinking, man tried to blend with nature on nature's terms. And those Taoist monks would go into the mountains in southern China. And uh, there was one quote – There's a man who writes poetry, beautiful, uh, named Red Pine, and he's spent his whole life, he speaks fluent Chinese, and he's spent his whole life recovering uh, texts from ancient China and translating them into easily understandable English. And he did one book where he went down to find the actual Taoist monks that were still alive in, uh, you know, 1995, or I don't know when the book was written but he they're still there and he was interviewing one and he said this is the life this monk said he's living up there in a rock cave in a very cold environment and he said this is the life my only regret is that my body can only handle it for 60 years and then he goes down the hill and lives in the monastery mm-hmm. but that being in touch with nature the coldness you feel the coldness the the heat you feel the heat The sounds of the bamboo rustling on the roof of your shack, you hear that. um, The wild animals that crawl around your door. Um, I mean, that's being in nature. It's not complicated, it's very simple, really. And then when you're in a sheetrock room, none of that is going on. Uh, You're more, quote, comfortable, unquote. And it's really the tension is between comfortable at your own expense. The, the slow death mm. of comfort versus the aliveness of bitter. You can find, anybody can find this out by taking an ice cold shower. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I'm sounding like I know, I, I don't take ice cold showers, I take <laughs> hot showers. You know, in, in summer I take ice cold showers, but I wish I was a little bit more of a mensch and I would take cold showers every time. I'd have to be a little stronger, a little tougher, mm. because when you take a cold shower, you can feel it, you, it's just a direct experience. All the cells in your body are going yippee, everything is more alive. Maybe you tense up for a second, but you can train yourself to not tense up. You can train yourself to just relax into ice cold water and your whole body comes to life. They, they even have treatments in Hollywood for freezing you for 20 seconds just so that your body gets a, a, like that reaction of tightening everything up and getting more young. And I think um, that's one great example of it, ice cold showers. And it's a choice between ice cold showers being bitter, warm showers being sweet. Uh, Cake is being sweet, pine needle tea is bitter, or it doesn't have to be something as extreme as pine needle tea, green tea is a little bitter coffee straight coffee with cream and sugar that's nature versus what man creates man lets its ego mind drag it towards a situation of comfort which isn't necessarily beneficial to the whole being and i don't think beneficial to the body
0: hmm. so have we overlooked the benefit of being challenged perhaps right because uh Many of these things have come to pass because of comfort, as you're saying, uh, comfort and security. And so have we missed something of our need to constantly be challenged and be in the elements and experience what's hard, perhaps?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, there's there's like nobody is having an easy life being in traffic, breathing toxic fumes uh, fighting your way across a city to get to an office that's may or may not be uh, run in a pleasant way uh you know that's hard it's really hard it, or it's I would say it's unpleasant but it's unpleasant in a way because it's you're being pulled from uh something more natural which could be hard in a more of a real way than than just a toxic way like here. We have clean air, clean water, I, I hope, you know, unless the pipeline goes through. Clean air, clean water, um, uh, a pleasant native environment. The trees are good. The bugs aren't too bad. Um, the sky is blue. The sun is shining. It's hot in summer, cold in winter. That That's all challenging in a way when you put yourself out in it. Um, you sweat when it's hot. You wear Thicker clothes when it's cold, but it's not challenging in a toxic way. It's challenging in a health-giving way. I think your body responds to that because
0: that's its natural environment. It feels really tricky navigating these waters in in our lives today, right? Because where do you draw the line, right? So, uh, am I not going to use all of uh, you know the technological? Uh, advances I have at my disposal to you know cook my meals and sit inside and um, have some of those comforts like it seems that there there is a place for it but the question is how much and am I doing that all the time um, to the detriment of my relationship to being outside in 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 nature so you know, how do you personally navigate these waters? Or are saying, you know, I'm not going to turn my back on, you know, technology or the modern age completely. But at the same time, I'm prioritizing, you know, being in the field, working, being outside, all of that.
1: Um, I think everybody's mind is different. And some people are able to just make up their mind to do something and then they just do it, um, no questions asked. Um, most people, I would say, certainly myself included, there's a there's a little struggle in there, you know, to get up for morning meditation on a cold day at six o'clock. You've been to a lot of meditations. You know that the pranayama first thing in the morning wakes up the mind. You know that. You have a really clear-cut segment of time early in the day to look at your mind and see if it's running you or you're hopefully running it more. Those kind of things are hard, but they're certainly worth doing no matter what. But for me, I still have to fight every morning. I know people who'd never even think about it. They just get up, put on their shoes, put on their coat, go out the door, boom, there's no debate. So Everybody falls probably into that continuum somewhere of how much they struggle with their own mind. Um, so for me, I'm you know somewhere in the middle. I'm, I mean, I'm the one talking right now. I have border collies, uh, two border collies, <coughs> and uh, they got to walk uh, twice a day it, and they don't they make no bones about it. You're gonna walk four miles a day, period, because you have border collies and they won't let you not walk. I mean, uh, you'd have to have them to know what I mean. That's just Mm -hmm. the way it is. So I'm going to be out walking four miles a day. I have a job that's outdoors that I have to do. Would I choose to go outdoors in the rain? No, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But I have to. I have a shift. So I've arranged my life so I have to get outdoors uh, that much every day. That's sort of a workaround that somebody who doesn't have as much willpower maybe as the next person uses to kind of herd themselves into living the kind of life that they wish they could live. But but I don't – maybe I'd rather be a person with a a giant willpower that I could just do it without any circumstances that I needed to create to force me to do it. I don't care. I'm doing it. That's what matters and uh, anybody can do that anybody can create the situation they want for themselves i think really i mean i used to live on 240 acres this was a long time ago and i was paying 25 dollars a month rent because i didn't have running water and the person renting the little shack in the beauty of the missouri countryside Um, was embarrassed to ask more than $25 a month for something without running water. And I thought I was leading the life of Riley, you know? Um, and there was a lot of being indoors, outdoors, indoors, outdoors, firewood, the swimming hole, the outhouse, you know, all of that. And that's the old timey life right there. All of that was built into my life so that my body mind got used to that, um, if I was living in Chicago, none of that would have happened or any city um
0: what do you think when you see you know the the picture of uh these city these cities and all the skyscrapers and you you don't see any green and we even you know post them on on television as if they're you know something to be extremely admired i mean I guess they there is something to admire in the feet of the construction and and all of that but isn't it interesting, these giant buildings with just humans stacked on top of humans living together in the box and we're choosing you, to do it?
1: If you take the 50,000-foot view, just imagine pollution, for instance. And if you could see pollution clearly – I mean you can, actually, of course. You get on a mountain 50 miles from a city and you can see the brown haze or if you come into the airport, you can see it. Um, but uh, – that's it. It's like none of that. And then as you get closer to the large group of people living together, the amount of pollution rises like um, uh, a big ball around that living space. And everybody's living in that ball of pollution. I love cities. I lived in New York for a year, love it. And uh, my wife and I spent a year and well, three months of a year off in San Francisco doing Tai Chi and That's the best city I've ever been in. I I mean, you can't afford it, but Mm. unless you're living in a yoga ashram, but um, it's great. Walk everywhere. We were walking six miles a day and city life doesn't have to be bad. It's what you make it just like everything else. If you do a lot of, if you get enough exercise and you're doing hatha twice a day and some pranayama, it's fine. You know, you don't have to be in the country. I like the country. But I think you can have a good life in the city.
0: And having a, a good life, too. I think you were speaking about commitments, making commitments. And so can our commitments um, assist us in living the types of, of lives that we want? Right. So you commit to a job of, of being on a farm. Therefore, even when it's raining outside, because you've made that commitment, you're you're going to go anyway and you're going to be outside. Or you committed to being... Uh, the safekeeper, the, the owner of, of two dogs. So therefore, they need a, a walk, no bones about it. Um, is that a healthy way, do you think, to look at, at the idea of commitment, that by committing, um, it's going to assist me in, in leading the type of life that I want?
1: Well, you know, we were talking about the, the human capacity, or I don't want to capacity, the human proclivity to debate what's going on like somebody could be in a situation that other people might really envy. You might have a beautiful uh, um, situation, family life, community to live in, whatever, and other people might be seeing that as some kind of um, restrictive environment. Um, So I think it's important. It's all, everything is what I, I, this sounds simplistic, but really you put a certain kind of, I think, you put a certain kind of energy into everything that you do, and that's what creates the world that you live in. Like if, uh, for me, I have, I have a strong commitment to the farm, but it's not like an oh no or I hate this commitment. It's joy. I'm, I'm emotionally committed to the whole thing as a as a big unit. I'm, co- I'm committed to all the individual fields that how they can remain healthy and the soil can remain healthy and all the things that I have to do that if I don't do, there's a lot of timing and farming, all the things that need to be done to keep each field healthy. Then each of the rows has a different kind of plan, and I'm committed to each of those rows specifically and all the plants in that row. And then you have to start one by one, each of the individual plants and I'm committed to all those plants. It's, I don't, I've, and I'm learning to do that. Obviously, it's like, I went to town one time, my first year of farming, and I had 2000 plants in the hoop house. And what did I know? I was just uh, gonna go to town for a minute and then I got distracted and I came back and the temperature suddenly went 20 degrees higher than it was supposed to in May and every single plant was dead. And I had to just really struggle to get through that farm year. Mm -hmm. You can't make mistakes if you've got a kid. You know, you can't forget the kid at the laundromat. You know what I mean? You you have your commitment is real, Mm -hmm. and um, it is important, I think, to pick the things that you choose to get committed to, and make sure they're directions that you want to put your life force into. And uh, once you make that commitment and once you're sending your juice down that channel, just go 100%. Mm. What else can you do? And pick things that are going to be healthy for you and everybody else.
0: So I want to ask you about fasting and maybe even this ties into to that. Um, what's your personal practice of, of fasting? Um, and... Yeah. How does that relate to to making a commitment? Do you make a commitment to fast for a certain period of time? And uh, what have you noticed uh, from fasting yourself?
1: Um, Well, let's see. I've been fasting off and on for 45 years or something. And (coughs) oh, excuse me. Matcha. So um, I've done it every way. Um, I've done horrible fasts. When I first started, I would just, I don't want to get into the details, but I didn't have a very clean lifestyle, but I would somehow I had willpower when it came to fasting. I would just quit eating and drink water for 10 days and then just start back into my wrong living
0: pattern. 10 days
1: yeah, that's a long fast. That's about as much as I ever have done. Some people go further. But that wasn't necessarily healthy. It's like everybody's body is different. So it's hard to make generalizations about fasting. Mm. Um, what Integral Yoga recommends, what Swamiji Dananda recommended was one day a week uh, fast. I think Thursday is when we do it here. And You just go to sleep, wake up, and don't eat uh, during that one day. Go to sleep, wake up, and then begin to eat as normal the next day. And uh, I don't know how much that does for your body. I think that's more for your mind is what he intended in recommending that. Because one day a week you prove, you know, where the rubber meets the road that you are controlling your mind and your mind's not controlling you on some level. When your mind says, eat that cheese sandwich, you know, you are not going to do it for that day. And um, so you develop your, your uh, personal power by, by fasting one day a week. Um, what I've found about fasting is that fasting is a kind of a hitting the reset button. That's what it is for me. Um, Gurdiv also recommended a three-day fast, which would be probably more like um, uh, eat vegetables, like just eat salad one day, you know, once or twice. And then the next day you have like fruit juice, the next day you have water, the next day you have fruit juice, and the next day you go back to salad, and then you go back to eating as normal. When I fast, I feel like uh, on a on a fast more than one day, which is really just a hiccup in a way, but um, when you begin to fast for multiple days, I feel like I'm in a boat leaving the shore, kind of, and the shore gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you get further and further out into the ocean, and then at a certain point, you don't even see the shore, and A longer fast is like that. You um, have to prepare. Uh, You need, ideally for fasting, like I said, everybody, some people probably shouldn't ever fast for 10 days. I mean, it's not for everyone. Uh, Three days I don't think would hurt anyone. But you have to know yourself and you have to know what type of body you are and how you handle a one-day fast so i would suggest try a one day fast and just see how that is if you're hypoglycemic or something not having any thing to burn um might be not healthy for you and one thing that integral yoga makes clear is don't do things that hurt you you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> take, we love our bodies and we're out to take care of them you know don't like just because you saw somebody in a picture sitting a certain way with their feet on top of their thighs yeah so that was maybe perfect for that person but you could completely trash your knee doing that so don't do it you know um like i used to try to sit for meditation in a comfortable uh seated position but with just a little cushion because that was more spartan or something Now, you should see me. I build myself like a little throne out of cushions, you know, so that I'm completely relaxed. Mm. So, Like Morgananda says, sometimes the easy way is hard enough, you know, because it's not about how you look when you're meditating. It's about whether or not your spine is straight and whether or not you can comfortably maintain that position. And then maybe gradually I get more flexible and I can use less cushions or whatever. But fasting is like that. Everybody's body is different. Know that. So you can't make blanket statements about fasting. But you're leaving the shore. The first day you're a certain distance away. Food is still there. The shore is food, all right, solid food. You're this far away from it. You see it. You want it. You're thinking about it. You go further out. You can still see it. You still want it. You might be getting desperate. You might be thinking, oh, I'm two days away from it. I have to be getting back now. Um, the third day, it's like pretty much just like a little thing on the horizon. And then on day four, you, you don't – I'm talking about myself. You don't want food. Um, why? You're as high as a kite naturally. Um, when you breathe, you can feel the air inside your lungs it, i find fasting to be amazing for pranayama you can feel the air go the air going into your nose down into your lungs your breathing is relaxed there's no constrictions there's no um it's just easy to be very aware of your breath when you're fasting and you can almost taste the air you smell everything a lot more the flowers you hear things better everything is just a little bit juicier when you're fasting i find The feeling of the breeze on your face is wonderful. And then by day five, you wonder why people are eating. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going, like, gosh, don't you know that's just going to bring you down, you know? And then it's getting a little bit, like, better think about where you're at. And then day six, seven, eight, nine, those kind of long fasts, you do forget all about food. Food is not an issue at all. But breaking the fast, a long fast... Food is definitely an issue. When you begin to consume food again, you really have to have some self-control or you can do yourself damage. You need to come back as slowly as you went out. You can't just dive back to the shore. You have to gradually, carefully bring your boat back to shore in as long a period as you've been fasting. So that's the, the caveat for a long fast. You have to have some willpower when you break it. Uh, even though you're not hungry on the whole second half of the fast. Um, What I would recommend in fasting is to just not be in a stressful situation. Don't be driving in traffic at 70 miles an hour on the L.A. freeway, you know. Just find a kind of a, a peaceful zone, do some yard work like maybe you would. Have something to do so you're not thinking about food all the time because then you're just focusing on food even though you're not eating it. Uh, So have some interesting things to do. Have some books to read. Uh, Go for long walks. Um, uh, Have some yard work to do or or whatever um, is fun for you. Um, But not a lot of pressure while you're fasting. And then you can just be... but you don't want blank periods, a lot of blank periods where you're just sitting on the sofa staring at the refrigerator, you know? Mm-hmm. So have stay active when you're fasting, but um, not heavy labor necessarily on a longer two or three day fast. Try to find a, a space where you're busy but not laboring or stressing. And uh, go to bed early, get up early, do a lot of sadhana,
0: do you ever experience uh, a sadness when a fast is over um, and you're, you've are you come back to the shore, you've come back to food, and uh, almost a longing to be back at, out at sea again?
1: You know, um, I, you know, I mentioned that I think of it as a reset. Hmm. Um, if you want to – I've used longer fasts. I don't do long fasts very much, by the way. Um like, once a year, max. But when I do that, it's usually, I have a, a, a reason to be doing it. Usually, I, um, I really want to change my personal habits. It's a perfect time to change your personal habits when you're fasting. Like, I was a smoker in my 20s, smoked cigarettes. Horrible, horrible habit. And... You know, I had to try several times to break that. It was like a bad addiction, and finally, the way I got rid of the cigarette habit was through fasting, because if you fast for a few days, you and you quit cigarettes and you quit food at the same time. For all you smokers out there in Radio Land, if you if you want to quit smoking and you should, when you quit cigarettes and quit uh, food at the same time, then you, you have the real thing that you're missing is competing with the negative, uh, destructive thing that you're missing. Mm. So drink tons of water and juice and um, you're detoxing all your poison from the cigarettes and you're fasting at the same time, which speeds up the detoxing. Now, here's where I'm getting into shaky ground because this is just something that worked for me. Somebody else's liver might not be happy doing this. And a thousand doctors might say, don't listen to that. This did work for me because I wanted food more than I wanted a cigarette. And it put things into perspective in a kind of a way. Um, And then once you get through the physical detox of uh, smoking cigarettes, which is what, a couple weeks and then, the, or maybe it's more, but it seemed like a couple of weeks, then your body can uh, begin to rebuild. And one thing I've heard about fasting, and once again, I don't know that this is true, but that is that your body is rough, this is a generalization, okay, but your body is made up of three different kinds of cells. Cells that are just being created in general, of different all the different types of cells, they're just being created, and they're young, vital cells coming into your body. They're sustaining cells, 50%. And then there's uh, cells that are dying. And those are the, the stragglers and the dying cells in your body. And when you fast, you begin to eat your own body to some degree at a certain point, after a certain number of days. And what part of your body, all the diseases are in the straggler cells. or you know, cancer, all of that lives in the straggler cells, the dying cells. And your body begins to burn through those cells. It doesn't eat the newly born cells, it eats the dying cells. So that's the way that you cleanse yourself. One of the ways when you're fasting is your body uh, gets rid of the dying cells. So if a doctor is listening to this, and I'm completely wrong about that, all I can say is I'm not an expert. Somebody just told me that. But um, I feel like that might be true because you do feel very cleansed and renewed on an almost cellular level uh, from fasting. I do. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, from, from my experience, too, I think and maybe most people when when you get sick you don't have that appetite that you normally have. So maybe that's even the body's message saying stop eating, give me a chance to to heal.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Um how about just like uh shorter fastings too? I myself haven't done a really long one like that, but for a good number of years now, once a week, I fast. And although I haven't kind of experienced those higher levels, and uh, but how has I, that been? is it been? It's a- been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life to commit to doing to doing that. Um, the way it breaks up my week, and it seems that even if it's for a short period of time, that uh, my intuition tells me that the body needs a rest. The digestive system needs a bit of a rest to 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 go three meals a day uh, every single day for so many years without everything. What doesn't need a rest? Um, to me, that that makes a lot of sense, and it's definitely been beneficial. Yeah,
1: that's the hardest kind, I think, because you, I mean. L- I mean, I wish I could do that. What you're doing, and it's sort of one of my goals. Uh, uh, Karuna and I are are thinking of doing just what you're doing. I mean, we can do a long fast, but sporadically, and take three weeks to psych ourselves up and do it, and all that. But I think you're probably getting much more benefit because just your willpower is getting very strong every week. You are the master of your mind for uh, that day, and every week you prove it. And um, that gives you a lot of personal power, I would say. It's something I want to do, but it's very hard for me to, to
0: repeat that weekly, I think, but
1: I want to. I'm going to try it. You know, in
0: terms of commitment, I found um, that's been really helpful is speaking the words out loud. So it's one thing to think, OK, I'm not, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. But if I say out loud, I'm not going to eat any food tomorrow, almost definitely, I I will follow that. All right? So, I don't know if have you experienced anything like that the power of speaking something out loud?
1: You know, you seem like a, I I took this thing the forum once and they said you are your word in mm. that and you seem like a man that believes that. Mm. You live by that, don't you?
0: Mostly. I mean, there's exceptions, too, and I allow myself to have exceptions. But uh, yeah, generally speaking, I think that's how we form relationships. Um, and it, I guess it's just a natural desire I have to comply with with my word. You know, um, if I say I'm going to do something, then I, I plan to do it. And hopefully others do as well. It, it definitely makes having a relationship. A lot better. Oh, you yeah. Know, if we can do that.
1: That's so important, you know.
0: But just as a thing, I mean, because it's not just me, you know, because I've...
1: Well, most people it, don't do that, Avi. You know that. You know, most people uh, give their word and say, I'm going to fast tomorrow. And then by 10 o'clock, uh, they got to have uh, something, you know. And that's the struggle of of most people. You're a strong person. You say, I'm going to do it. It's done. You know, it would take something unusual for you to not be your word.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the mind will, will uh, <laughs> you know, try to play uh, tricks. Um, and in addition to that, now I've, uh, during the week, I set up all sorts of stuff for myself, getting into my own practices now. <laughs> On the weekends I let myself go, but but now during the week, um I, I won't eat until lunch most of the time. And again I'll say it like the night before. I'll I'll say, Okay, tomorrow I'm not going to eat until until lunch. But yeah, like today there was a test. I was at, uh, a meeting, and someone was handing out you know chocolates to everyone, and they looked amazing. <laughs> they looked great. It's just like, well, it's already twelve o'clock. It's not quite lunch yet. Is that <laughs> late enough? But it's the uh, the games of life yeah. that we play. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'd like to ask you about self care too, because um, to me that's that's vitally important. Um, in this, in this kind of thing that we're talking about now, too, is, like, e- you know, even if I do break my word to me, that's not a big deal, you know? And I think because it's not a big deal, I'm able to honor my word a lot more.
1: And Wait, I, I didn't get that. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? So
0: if something comes up where, okay, I, I, I said I was going to do something and then there's some other circumstances that I hadn't planned for that come in the way. And I have to deviate from my plan or from my word. I have to break my word. Um, you know, basically saying to my, okay, you know, something happened, you're, you're allowed to. So I don't make too big of a deal if if I don't honor something. By not making too big of a deal, I seem to be able to honor my word a lot more. As opposed to if I was going to berate myself, oh, you're a bad person. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Um, That would the word suppression comes there. Something happens there where it's like playing games, tricks with yourself, or this like, you know, oh, I'm bad. Oh, I'm good. Type of thing. As opposed to accepting everything and even seeing seeing myself as my own safekeeper which is this idea I'm very interested. I was talking to someone else about it. Even having dialogue with yourself, you know, um, in the third person, you know, which is a very odd thing to say. So it's like, you know, okay, Ganesh, you know, you did a a nice job today. You know, exactly exactly what you wanted to or – um, well, that wasn't exactly maybe as good as you could have done, you know, try a little bit better, like the way that you would speak to a child that you were trying to nurture uh, a little bit. I think someone else put it as a ways that we have to become our own parents. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, I mean, I, I, I gotta tell you this. It's like, have you, I don't know if you've done Vipassana 10 day, uh, retreat, um, When I did that, the first time I did that, I had no idea what I was getting into, and I was so not ready for 11 hours of meditation a day. It put me into a very um, wild place, I would say, after about five days of that. And I created the separation between my true self, or whatever it is that you are, I don't think there's words for it, and the voice box in your head, in my head, I'm talking about the mind. And... I saw that mind as a uh, a big uh dog, fully grown dog that I had never trained and it was now pooping on the couch and tearing the curtains up and ruining my life and I had no control over it and it was bad and it was my fault that it was bad that's how I that's how I felt about my thinking apparatus and after struggling with that for a few days in silence and sitting all day long um i realized it's exactly what you said it's 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 like you're a parent and that's your child and you would always love your child no matter what first and then get into the behavior and i think if you treat yourself that same way was well, just what you said but i i had the uh, the same experience if you treat yourself with love at the core level, like I love myself first, and then you begin to deal with the behavior, it doesn't, have, it doesn't turn into some uh, masochistic, self-berating uh, down, downward spiral like it could.
0: And I think also to understand that, what is going to happen if I don't love myself? That's not going to be, be. That's not going to benefit anyone. Right. Right. I think if there are issues that we see out there happening that are very common with people, to me, it's clear that most of them are stemming from from a cause that is people not really loving themselves. Actually, genuine self acceptance uh, and self care, and, and so I see that as a, a clear path toward kind of getting us to the place that that we need to go understanding that if I don't love myself, that's going to be bad for everyone else around me. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.